Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Hi, Michael. How are you today? Hey, Barry. I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm excited to talk about, uh, to continue our mini set on education. And we have been talking about uh, the online classroom, and we're not continuing to talk about the online classroom today, but we are still continuing in the groove thing of education. I think. And we are staying online. Uh, and yeah, we I- are definitely, as befits Critical Media Pod, Critical Media Studies Pod, we are staying online adamantly. Online. I- and truthfully, by God. And truthfully on the line. Yeah. So out of, out of our out of the discussion that we had uh, surrounding online education, uh, we, we sort of ended up going into this little rabbit hole of just information consumption, which then uh, takes us to thinking about, um, you know, misinformation, misinformation and and how, you know, the Internet in, in providing access, uh, unfortunately, provides access to everything. And so we get back to this this pharmacon concept, right, of, of the poison and the cure. We have access, but we have access to all things. And so mm-hmm. really the, the question that naturally comes up for us, for me anyways, was, you know, how do we distinguish between uh, real news, fake news? Um, you know, this is something that comes up with students, uh, you know, with enough regularity to, uh, to be a concern and uh, certainly is, 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 is in line with what we do here. So, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm ready to, I think we're ready to transition to a piece that will allow us to discuss, uh, some of these issues, uh, more, more fully, more in a more developed way before we do that, Michael, actually, um, I was going to mention something that your, your brief pricey or your brief introduction made me think of, you know, you were talking about the problems. This might be a, a good moment befitting our podcast to historicize because the way you put it, I was struck by the way you put it, that uh, the problem of misinformation is a natural byproduct of um, a situation when you have a new sort of information platform, media platform, that the, if that new technology allows more and greater access to, to media, uh, if it allows either an increased production or in some cases an increased production and consumption of media items, typically that's, been, that's caused moments in the culture when the culture goes, ah, I don't know what to do. Old in 19th century Europe and America. Um, that phenomenon was full, uh, you know, caused a lot of people to say, oh my God, everybody has access to the news. Everybody's reading the news. Something is wrong with the situation. So they're so this is not the first time that cheap, that easy and cheap access to information has created a problem. Yeah, I think the difference between the two that's worth noting, though, is that um, now we have a limitless stream of penny papers and right. the news it's- does not correlate. With, it's a huge difference. And, and so while yeah. we have, you know, similar explosion of access, um, the difference now is that we have competing voices and that I, I would suspect the um, financial motivations are also substantially higher now because um, though you have 
multiple multiples of multiple platforms. Um, behind it all, it's fairly concentrated in terms of ownership. And Very so, true. you know, and, and, and this, this, this could take us down any number of rabbit holes, but we'll just well, say, I, and I don't want us to go there, but I did, I felt this, you know, it's a kind no, of our I, job I, to think about this historically. So I wanted to do that before we get into other things. Certainly. I, I guess what I would say though, to sort of just, you know, point to the rabbit hole for anyone who's interested um, is that there has been, though there's a massive explosion of media access and there are uh, certainly an abundance of voices um, behind the curtain, it's very consolidated. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are really a very limited number of players who are producing the vast majority of the noise, or right. ena or enabling and encouraging, and that um, in the name of profits, these are often divided along, uh, I, I guess we'll say, ideological lines, mm -hmm. right? Um, because again, you're selling to audiences. This is, I think, the important thing to to note here is that behind a lot of this it, it's it's capitalism i mean this is a this is a for-profit game and so in in many ways you know the notion of truth is a secondary or tertiary concern behind um you know uh, eyeballs ears and um dollars. And dollars so so anyways with that um with that, with that, well, with that primer, in mind yeah, well, with that sort of nod backwards, uh, let's get to the matter at hand. That it, as as Michael and I were discussing the topic and reading up on the subject of misinformation and misinformation online, we came across various sources, and we thought to organize it would be um, helpful for us, but hopefully helpful for you, dear listener, if we talk through one of the sources that we found online, um, a piece by Ross Duthat. We spent endless hours online and uh, prior to this conversation, uh, checking out the pronunciation of that. There, I don't know if there's an easy answer to the question, but it seems that the consensus is Ross out that. But anyway, he writes for the, he's a conservative columnist. And I guess we should say that, let's foreground the politics. That might be something we return to later. Um, but Ross uh, doubt that's a, a piece in the New York Times, he's a conservative columnist. He might be the, the major, like the main conservative columnist on the New York Times opinion page. And he wrote a piece, I think, was this, uh, you know what? I forgot the date. Is March this, 2nd. Uh, earlier this year? March 2nd, 2021. Hell, well, it's not that recent. I was about to say it's really recent, but then I said, no, it's not recent at all. So there is the context of last year. Um, so this is last year's news, but still relevant, we think. Um, it was a piece called A Better Way to Think About Conspiracies. Dufat ends his opinion piece with four steps, I guess four reading tips or interpretive tips, critical reading tips maybe. I guess one of the things we can talk about is really what these four things that he presents as are, but he presents this with four tips to try and help the media consumer which is potentially everybody, right? Uh, make sense of the wealth of false information, misinformation uh, that is available on the web, particularly that package or di those discourses on the web um, that are tied to conspiracy thinking. So, so with that uh, prolegomena, shall we, shall we begin and sort of discuss or anything yeah. you wanna add? Well, I do, I think that one of the, the limits to this, and, and this is not a, a shot 
at, at Dow Thought so much as it's just, I think, something that we have to be upfront about is that none of this is anything that's going to tell us how to stop the problem or to how to mitigate the problem, really. These are, I, I think, four positions that he's identified for the consumer of information in terms of how to filter it to determine whether or not these are ideas that you should, you know, keep or, or, or act on or, or work with as, as truths. Um, so I, I just, I want to note that as, as, you know, as I read this, he's not saying, Hey, here's the solution to this. Um, because to offer that solution would be to, to be, would be to assume that, you know, we have a media consuming public that is seeking that solution. And I'm not sure we do. I, in fact, I'm fairly convinced we don't. I'm glad you made that uh, qualification, Michael. Let's start off with the first, uh, uh, first point on Dow Pets list. So he says, he writes, here are a few ideas that belong in that kind of toolkit for making sense of disinformation on the individual level, as Michael noted. So you have to prefer theories, simpler theories, to Baroque ones. All right, let's discuss. Prefer simpler theories to Baroque ones. Uh, so let me start this here. Um, my recollection is that Douthat was applying this to, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting his name. COVID. Well, he was talking about COVID and Gates. Oh, and that, that's it. That's it, right? He, he gave several examples, but one of the most prominent, obviously, was, I was thinking of the Epstein case, uh, but he also uses COVID, and COVID can get us kick-started on this. Absolutely. Um, that... Uh, that the ten, he offered as a kind of way, I, I don't know what to call it, as a kind of caution to beware of putting too much faith in the extensions, I guess I would say, the extensions and the Baroque elaborations of conspiracy theory. So that um, there are some conspiracy theories that are more plausible than others. And the specific example of COVID was like, where did COVID originate? That it's not implausible. Would you would you take this to be an example of what he means? That if you say that COVID is an elaborate conspiracy of Bill Gates that is designed to uh, yeah, sterilize so he, the, the population, the female population, or you know, he, in America. Yeah, he's, that, he, that's he, pretty he, elaborate and pretty abrupt. Right. Whereas a simpler theory might be, well, isn't it at least possible that COVID was originally developed in a lab in Wuhan? And accidentally got out. And, and accidentally people got out. Don't want to take ownership. Yeah. I, I, he says, and I have this in front of me, um, in following your suspicions, never leap to a malignant conspiracy theory to explain something that can be explained by incompetence and self-protection first. Right. And so essentially, this is Occam's razor, right? The yes, simplest right. The explanation, explanation. Yeah, is, is likely to be the one. Absolutely. And I think that's fine and that's good. Um, and my suspicion is that that's usually going to be right. But the problem with this, mm -hmm. uh, to my mind, is directly connected to his second point which let's let's go to that if it's so, so the second point is, 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 that he offers here is avoid theories that seem tailored to a predetermined conclusion 
right? And so the so this the problem is that we have our suspicions, we have our predetermined positions already in place. They are predetermined, right? So it's very difficult to come into a situation you know, tabula rasa, right? Like I am an open book. I'll, I'll entertain all positions and, and theories equally. And so when you come in, you're already predisposed to see things a certain way, ideologically, philosophically, religiously, politically, I mean, what, whatever it is, right? And so sometimes those predisposed orientations require, what's his language? A more Baroque theory to make them fit. So, you know, I, th I think it's, it's, it's easy to sort of write off the accept the, the acceptance of some of this misinformation or the false news um, because you, you want to say people are intentionally trying to spread something that seems ludicrous or because they're mm -hmm. just mindless. But I don't know that, that, that either of those is fair. I, I think many times, you know, we, we, we need to be able to make sense of our surroundings and our place in those surroundings. And sometimes that requires some pretty creative thinking. And, you know, like, um, so, so I, I do, uh, I, I, I dabble in endurance sports. Right. And there's, there's times when like, I, I give an example, I was, I was, uh, doing a race and I was, you know, several hours in, but several hours from the conclusion and it's the lies you tell yourself that's that's one of the things we'll say it's the lies you tell yourself to get you from here to there so you'll sit there and you'll be like man i'm almost done and and you know you're not <laughs> you know you got you're still out there for a long time but just framing it in that way makes it possible to get from point a to point b and so i think a lot of the time these conspiracy theories that get passed around often fit a predetermined narrative or they fit a narrative that's necessary to keep uh, a different narrative afloat. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's my take on that. I don't think that it's fair to just say, oh, we can solve these problems if you'll avoid predetermining things. I can't imagine a situation where we don't bring some baggage in. Yeah, I think you're convincing me that uh, the Douthat uh, remedy for misinformation just fucking fell apart right here between points one and two. I'm gonna add something to what you said. I like very much what you said, um, but I think you're, you're making me, you made me suspect that they're, they're, they're uh, well, first off, you draw attention to a huge discrepancy or the huge gap between points one and points two that you were finding problematic for very good reasons. I, I you make me even, you make me want to draw and even raise and even, greater suspicion that perhaps what Mr. Dothat doesn't realize is that his point two actually is creating point one. In other words, the Baroque theory that, to give one example, Hillary Clinton is behind all the evil in the world. With a... Just to give an example, but let me, let me yep, play yep. it out. But do that may have, and I, I think you were saying this in a very, in a different way, in a different register, that you were questioning the relation between point two and point three. And I think I want to do the same thing, just in a slightly different key. So a more accurate 
way of ordering these points that Duthat doesn't seem to doubt that seems not to realize is that the Baroque explanation, uh, the predetermined conclusion uh, is in fact what is driving the whole theory. So that in order to get to where you wanna go in the race, you have to tell your source, you, in your example, in order to get to the end of the finish line, you have to tell yourself some, we won't call them lies, but slightly embellished statements. Well, I'll go, in order I'll, to- I'll yeah, go and go say they're, they're lies. Okay. They, they, they're, but, but they are productive, serviceable lies. And, and, and this is what makes them that much trickier. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, I know it's a lie, but I know it's a lie that gets me to a finish line. And so we mm -hmm. qualify it as a white lie or we qual, you know, and, and, and that I think is even more damaging because now I'm willing to accept this lie because okay. I know it serves a greater good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's sort of, um, it's like people making up their own versions of song lyrics, mm -hmm. right? I'm singing a song and somebody looks at me and says, that's, that's, those, are, those are not the words. And I say, I don't care. Those are the words mm -hmm. they make me happy. I'm going to get to the end of the song. And I'm going to live my life. It's not consequential, but I'm going to reinforce this inaccuracy because it's not, it's not consequential enough for me to uh, go back and learn it. You know, the, the, the effort required to, to correct it isn't, isn't enough. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think there's a fair bit of that. So, and, and um, what Dow may not seem to realize is he assumes that his point one leads to point two, but it could very well be that the desire to tell a particular kind of story about say Hillary Clinton is what is creating the Baroque um, exfoliations of the conspiracy theory. So that it could be this kind of desire or will predetermined to believe in a certain narrative of reality that is creating all the, you know, the Baroque, to use his word, his term, uh, Baroque decorations that accompany most conspiracy stories. With, with the reservations that we raised about points one and two in mind, maybe we can take a look at his third point, where Douthat asks us to take fringe theories more seriously when the mainstream narrative has holes. Now, that is interesting. Yeah, so here he uses the example of UFOs. And he says... Um, well, here, I'll read it. Uh, likewise, every fringe theory about UFOs, that there's some mm -hmm. kind of secret military super technology, mm -hmm. that they're really aliens, that there's something stranger still, became a lot more plausible in the last couple of years because the footage released by Pentagon sources created a mystery that no official consensus narrative has adequately explained. So essentially, his argument is, look, when you look at a narrative and there's holes in it, there's gaps that maybe you need to take a second look at this. But just as point one and two are connected by your perspective, the, his third point sort of suffers the same fate here. I think it and, does. And what he's really, so what he's really saying is, you know, give it time. And if time doesn't resolve your problems, maybe take another look at it, right? Or if time presents problems, excuse me, take another look at it. Um, well, if you're predisposed to see those holes, those holes are still going to be there. But the bigger question. And you're going to read around them, right? You're going to ignore the holes, right? Well, right. But this this really falls back into the earlier problem 
that, um, you know, if I have a desire to tell a story that's going to create a Baroque story, well, if I have a desire to see holes, I'm going to find them. Now, if we look at this from a sort of uh, producer of theory versus consumer of theory mm -hmm. situation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Let's say, for Good example, point. let's say, for example, you create this really bizarre theory about something. And to me, it seems really strange, right? But you point to certain, you know, gaps in information that would create what, what, what he would call, you know, um, that he would say are not adequately explained. This requires me now to reverse engineer your story to try and find the gap in your perspective so that I can understand it. And now what has to happen is I have to lay my value system over my understanding of your value system. Assume that I am able to do that fairly to try and come up with what may or may not wow. be a plausible Brilliant. scenario. Brilliant point, and, Michael. And I, I, don't, I don't see that even with our best intentions, right? With, our, with, 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 with some sort of genuine desire to reach an objective understanding of something. Man, that's asking a whole lot. I think I almost want to say it's not asking the impossible, but it's certainly asking what for something to happen that does not normally regularly occur. I mean, that's something that's out of most people. And I would include myself in that one oh, in without that category that I would be, you know, I, I don't trust myself to be that discerning and impartial a reader especially for some of these narratives or consumer of, na of these narratives, especially for some of the narratives that hit home. Right? Well, I, I, I think I, I, I'm certainly including my, myself in this, mm -hmm. you know, um, there, uh, this is asking more than, um, you know, I'm in most cases, if I have a narrative that doesn't fit my eye, it's very, very, very difficult. Very difficult. And the only way that we're really going to get there is if you can produce evidence that fits my eye, which you can then conduct, you know, connect back to right. said narrative. To um, your said narrative. And, and so, you know, let's tell you what, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's hit the fourth one real quick. And then sure. I, I, I think the, take ta the, the, the takeaway here is going to maybe be uh, a little more involved than just saying, hey, here's this one thing. So his, his fourth point, mm -hmm. he says, just because you start to believe in one fringe theory doesn't mean you have to believe in them all. So Barry, what he's saying is, look. <laughs> yes, I do. I want Barry, to say that. Yes, just, I do. I must. <laughs> just because you drank a bit of the Kool-Aid doesn't mean you need to finish the pitcher. But I do need to finish the pitcher. You know Michael. why you need I to do. finish the, Do you know why? You know why? Because if you drank the first damn glass, <laughs> you probably like the flavor. I and like if, the flavor and I want the whole damn Kool-Aid. You know what happens if you drink the first flavor and you like it and then you drink the second flavor and you like it. You know what happened? You're not drinking fringe, fringe flavors anymore. You're, you're so, you know, what, what this all comes down to is, is, is a question of perspective. And I, I think about this and I say, you know, OK, we live in an incredibly divided time where what for me resonates as absolute fringe nonsense is Bible truth for the person four doors down. Sure. From me. That's, and, our, that's the issue. 
Yeah. And so my, my terra firma, right? Like my obvious truth is someone else's fringe. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's a big ask to, to say, well, okay, let's, let's put all of our perspectives. Let's put all of our biases. Let's put all of these things that shape our understanding down and legitimately engage with something that does not fit that eye. And so for me, I think the takeaway that I'm coming to mm -hmm. is that when we talk about fake news, when we talk about, you know, these, 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 uh, the, 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 the diffusion of truth in, 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 into the, you know, media landscape. Um, I don't think that it's, I simply don't think it's possible to say, Hey, here's four tips for how to combat fake news. You know, I mean, this is something with my students that I struggle a little bit with. Um, but there I am sort of, I, I, I can lean up against the fact that we're doing academic research and that you need to reinforce your arguments with multiple uh, sources sources that will, uh, you know, sort of um, reinforce your position. Right. And we're arguing things that don't have absolute truths. We're arguing perspectives and looking for best practices. And so this idea of fake news becomes a little bit of an abstraction for the way I engage with it. But then you get out into the real world and I, there, there is no simple takeaway for this. Mm -hmm. the, the, the problem is that we are so entrenched and that we have subscribed to these partisan positions um, that just don't allow for a whole lot of flexibility. And I, I think that's it. We're just not we're not flexible. And I don't think that we show any inclinations towards wanting to be flexible. Wow. That's a, that's a powerful takeaway. Should I offer my takeaway? I, and, I, I would ask you to. Um, I like your takeaway and I, I don't think my, my version of that is too different. Um, I guess I feel divided about doubt that that one of the things, one of the reasons why I, I, I pushed or I suggested uh, doubt that, that we discussed doubt that is I like the fact, I like the fact that he was trying to offer kind of a practical way of dealing with the mess, assuming on the, you know, that he assumes, I think correctly, that we're not gonna be able to change things on the producer end or on the consumption end anytime quickly, that we can't have an immediate collective solution to this, that there has to be some responsibility the, the individual has to take in order to negotiate this issue. Um, I like that practical side of it. So that's the positive thing that I guess I still feel about Doubt That's project. But in talking about it, as you pointed out, and as I tried to point out, the other takeaway is that it's really, really difficult, not only to do the kind of things that Dalfat is asking us to do, but um, 
it's well nigh impossible to expect uh, the individual to sort of uncover, the, you know, to be able to negotiate these these murky waters. So I don't know. Well, I, I think part of the problem here is that this whole discussion is sort of predicated upon the assumption that there is some core truth to things, right? And mm -hmm. we can certainly argue that there are outright falsehoods, right? Like I'd feel pretty confident in saying that whether you like Hillary Clinton or not, she wasn't running a child prostitution ring out of a pizza joint um, or whatever that thing that came out, the conspiracy theory around that was. Um, sure. Pizzagate. Right. But, you know, so many of these, I think, are a lot of these theories and these positions are trying to ascribe certain motivations to, you know, parties that are outside of any given discussion. I can't rightfully say what someone's motivation was unless I have access to that person and can ask them directly. And so I think there's holes in it. And I think that, you know, the, the holes that aren't going to get plugged. And maybe a part of this is really just a search for certainty and mm -hmm. maybe is part of an offshoot of our always on, always now culture, right? Like mm -hmm. I want now, I want to know now. And in the absence of being able to satisfy that and to say with certainty, this is the case, mm -hmm. you know, we, we create these narratives to sort of fill that void. Well, Michael, I think there's a lot of things um, on this topic and related topics that are left for us to discuss, but no, I think that'll, that'll probably do it for today. I look forward. Hey there, one more thing real quick. If you have questions or comments about what we've talked about, go ahead and drop us an email from our website at www.criticalmediastudiespodcast.com, or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Critical Media Studies Pod. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com. Thank you.